It's Depression Mode. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here. There's a podcast called Song Exploder. You might have heard it. It's pretty well known. It's really good. Each episode of that show features a different songwriter who, along with the host, Rishikesh Hirway, picks apart a song that they wrote. It talks about all the inspiration and decisions that went into forming that song. Well, we're going to do a special Depression Mode version of that concept this week. Call it Song Imploder, I guess. You're listening to Whiteout Conditions by The New Pornographers. It's off their 2017 album of the same name. The New Pornographers formed in 1997 in Vancouver, Canada, and they've been making music ever since. The band has been described as power pop or post-punk. I have a hard time describing their music myself because it's unique, lush, layered arrangements, unexpected sounds arriving at unexpected times but fitting perfectly. It's complex music, but elegant. They're kind of a super group, too. Many of the members are successful solo artists, like Nico Case, Dan Behar, and the leader of the new pornographers, A.C. Newman. A.C. Newman wrote the song Whiteout Conditions, sings on it, and a while back he told me that it was written about a really bleak, depressed time in his recent past. He's been dealing with depression and anxiety for many years. Now, based on what I know about mental health and creativity, I think it's pretty rare for someone to be in a bad mental state and stay very productive creatively. And I wanted to see what we could learn about creativity and depression and anxiety from someone who had all three rocking at once. I think it could shed some light on the music and the person and what they're going through. I got A.C. Newman on the Zoom from his home in Woodstock, New York, and we did some song imploding. You know, I think I'm one of those people that has, like, get situational depression really bad. Is that, that's what you call it, right? Where you could, yeah. things feel like they're going normal and then something happens and it's just boom. It was at a point when my my sister was um she was dying of cancer. And you know that that kind of thing, it becomes this kind of dull pain that you get used to. So it's such a constant level of sad that you you forget that it's even sadness. How long had you known that she was that it was terminal? Well, I felt like almost immediately we knew, and that was late 2012. So I think she she lived for like three and a half years. And in, in the 2012, there was that, I, I remember that there was a sense of like, no, she's not going to survive. You know, in cancer, like people, it's always like, yeah, you know, we're going to, you're going to try really hard. But when it's stage four, and anyways, I found myself just um, getting into an incredible pit. And I remember... I'd already booked time in in LA to do to record bed tracks with our drummer Joe and our bass player John. What are bed tracks? You know the main tracks. Like we 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 will record like guitar, bass, and drums, just like a minimal arrangement of the song. Okay. And then and then we'll usually take that and we'll do a lot of overdubbing. So we were doing that, like I guess our basic tracks, people will call them. But I, it had already been booked, and I was just not in a space to do it. Like, I remember thinking, I have to get on a plane for six hours. And like, I don't know if I can do this. 
Mm. <laughs> you know, it was like you couldn't even do the flight. It just felt like I, I'm not I'm not in a headspace to be trapped on a plane right now for six hours. You know, mm. yeah. It it was just a it wasn't a good place, and I remember. I I think I was. You know, I was trying. <laughs> you know, I, I think my bandmates might have noticed I was like lying on the couch a lot when we were in the studio. Uh-huh. But, but I remember, I remember bringing in. Um, that's when I brought in whiteout conditions, and I feel like I wrote most of the lyrics when I was when I was in L.A. in my Airbnb, and I was thinking I got to record this the next day, and so it it felt very much like being in this horrible place and i i just kind of i guess i dug deep and started and i was shocked that it came out and i didn't really edit it that much like i think there's a i think there's a line in there about la which was in uh-huh. which was which was in there for no other reason except well that's where i am right now you looked out the window and there was los <laughs> it, angeles yeah How did the idea come about to make to make this into a song? So you, you say that you had a, a situational depression going. Your sister was dying. There was a lot on your mind. Mm-hmm. How does that? How does it go from? Oh, I'm feeling these heavy things. To I'm gonna involve guitars and drums and lyrics in this thing. I always write the music first. I think there was something about the nature of the it has a very run on melody like like it felt like it would lend itself to a a very much a a stream of consciousness and somehow that lent itself to what makes sense to talk about in like a rapid stream of consciousness. And that, that seemed like it made the most sense. And I think I might've had some of the lyrics in the chorus. I, I, I don't remember. <laughs> I, I, I can never remember where, when the songs were written, but I know, I know the verses were the last thing I wrote. Okay. Yeah. The chorus, which, which Nico Case and Catherine Calder sing is only want to get to work. But every morning I'm too sick to drive. So that's yes. it, it's got the title. It's got the title in the chorus. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting because I've been listening to this song a lot, again, and it doesn't really strike me as depression. It strikes me as anxiety because it's got all those internal rhymes. And like you say, it's kind of a run-on beat. It sounds like like somebody's mind racing. Does that happen to you in depression, like things speed up a lot? Yeah. I think whatever depression I have, I think it comes from anxiety. Mm. Like, I'm like, I'm pretty sure like that's, that's the root of like so many things in my life. And, you know, I'm pretty sure they, they usually go hand in hand through life. It seems, I think there's something about having intense anxiety that just makes you depressed for whatever reason, you know, who knows? Well, I, I think you expend a lot of energy with anxiety. I think you get completely exhausted mentally because you're, Mm -hmm. there's so much happening all the time. 
I got, I think it was in, in 2004 was when I first realized, early 2004, when I realized like I have, there's something going on in my head that's not, not normal, you know? Like I thought, I, I want to talk to somebody. And that's when I realized that I had anxiety and depression. And it, it was such a great feeling, you know? It was that, that feeling of like, okay, I know what this is, you know? It was like uh-huh. le- like the first step in a 12-step program. Like I'm going, I'm an alcoholic, yes. Like I know what I, know what I am. Let's go back to that though. So what was going on with you before you got that diagnosis and, and, and how did you get that diagnosis? What brought you in to someone to actually find that out? I just started, I just started dating a girl in San Francisco and things were going great. And I was like, I couldn't, and I could not figure it out. You know, I, I thought this does not, this does not make sense. That it felt great? It didn't make sense? No, no. I mean, it did, it did not make sense that I was into something where that felt like you should be happy, you know? Uh-huh. Like, I felt like, isn't this, isn't this good, you know? Right. And isn't it good to have a girlfriend? You just started dating. Isn't that, isn't that a good thing? And realizing there was something else in my brain. It was like sabotaging me. There was something that was stopping me from being happy. And it was like, you know, affecting affecting the relationship. And, I, and then I realized how much it had affected so many of my past relationships. And, and, I, and I thought, I want, to try and, I want to try and nip this in the butt. Like, like, I want to see if I can, you know, deal with this. So I went, I went to a doctor in Vancouver um, where my memories of Vancouver, having lived in America so, <laughs> for so long, I, I have all these like I see the medical system there with rose-colored glasses. Like, uh-huh. like, like, like I, just, I just walked into a free clinic and said, I'd like to see a psychiatrist. And they said, sure. And they handed me a referral and I went to see a psychiatrist the next day and it was free. And so I, I went to see a, a psychiatrist and he put me on Wellbutrin. And, and I immediately, I don't know if it was a placebo effect, but immediately it was like, it was like, boom. It's like, I feel great. And then I went, I went back two weeks later and said, ah, it, it, it went into effect immediately. And he said, that's not how it works. <laughs> and I said, well, but it did. And then that made me think about, man, the placebo effect is some powerful stuff. Yeah. Like, 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 the, like the fact that somebody could just tell me, here's a pill, you're cured. And I went, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, full, on, I'm full on cured. Uh, a lot of people would say, you know, if that's what, if it's placebo, so what? If you're feeling better, you're feeling better. Well, that's the important thing. Yeah, and and like like it's like I said when when I realized, oh, I I have depression and anxiety. It made me feel good. That there wasn't that feeling of oh no, it was a feeling of oh I'm okay. I know I know what I'm dealing with. You told me once that that you wrote half the lyrics to Whiteout Conditions from within a deep depression from the bottom of a pit mm-hmm. do you do you mean like half the actual songs or half the effort to write the all the words was was from this this really bad place like can you look at can you look at the lyrics and say okay that one that one that one um i think i think all the verses i think i wrote like if you count all the words i think i probably wrote three quarters of them that day you know i think I that think, day in los angeles yeah like Prior to that, I think I had the chorus written, and uh-huh. I, I and I might have had that line in the bridge, whatever it is, like the sky will come for you once. The sky will come for you once. Just sit 
But yep. I, I might not have. It all it all happened pretty quickly. Well, it it reads very much like a like someone just taking notes of what's going on in their own mind, flying and feeling the ceiling. I'm barely dealing. Oh right, that 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 has one of my favorite lines. Even even though that song is very serious and it's about a very serious thing, uh-huh. it has one of my favorite cute lines that I ever wrote, which is "Got so hooked on the feeling, I started dealing." That's is that a BJ Thomas reference? Yes. Nice. Okay, so that's at the very end of the song. Got so hooked on a feeling I started dealing. I think is, it's in the it's in the middle too. Is it okay? Is it uh, you started dealing like you started actually confronting the the what was going on in your head? I think I meant it. It meant it the other way, and that like like it's not a healthy thing when you become so addicted to something that you start dealing to support it. Mm. This attack, you know, <laughs> I was trying to say that b- being depressed was uh, not working out. <laughs> you know, okay. it was uh, basically it was taking up too much of my headspace, you know. It becomes your entire persona. It takes over everything. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, very, it's very selfish that way. So what were you dealing then? If you were, if you were so hooked <laughs> on being depressed, what were you dealing I guess more depression. <laughs> okay, all right. But I was selling it to myself, man. I don't ah. know. <laughs> You're meeting yourself down in the corner of Depression Avenue and Anxiety Street. Who who are all the jugglers and the clowns in the Dylan songs, <laughs> man? They're just they're just people in songs. Well, so explain this though about about writing songs because you know most people don't do that. Like when you when you set out to write this song. Is it, well, it's songwriting time. What can I use? Well, I got this. Or is it, I've got this. I need to express it through song. I need to exercise this from myself. Like, what's the motivation for converting what your head's doing into verses and choruses and bridges? You know, I think at the time, I think I just had to. You know, like... Like I, I went back to my, it was nighttime. I went back to my Airbnb and I thought, I want to do this song tomorrow morning. So I got to have all the lyrics written. And and I thought, okay, well, there was at that point in time, there was no way I was going to write lyrics. And it was going to be about anything except the, what I was going through at that time, because that was just absorbing every moment of my consciousness. Um, you know, it, I feel like it might have been the night of the Oscars. Like it was so maybe February, February two thousand sixteen, I, I, and I I remember thinking I got to get out of the apartment and just like walking around L A. and you know nobody walks in L A. of course, so it's a lonely place to be walking. And uh, I remember I wasn't that far from where the Oscars were, and there was there was there was just that fe- that feeling, that horrible outsider feeling, that the most exciting thing in the world was happening just a few blocks away. And and I and, and I was just walking the streets of L.A. by myself, um, feeling feeling miserable, which happens happens all the time. Much more with A.C. Newman and whiteout conditions. More song imploding in a moment. And here's what we're doing. Here's the arc of this episode. We will unpack the song, and in so doing, we will unpack Mr. Newman's mind. And as we go 
unpack anxiety and depression and creativity along the way. Back with A.C. Newman of The New Pornographers. Now, I can't help notice that that the song is, like a lot of your songs, kind of upbeat. Like, there's some pretty bleak imagery in the words, but mm-hmm. then it, it's also something that you, can, that you can dance to. Does that weird you out? Like, if you're playing a show and people are dancing and smiling and having a great time to the song about your possible mental collapse? Well, you know, I've, I've realized that for me, songs, I'm not, I'm not always trying to communicate a feeling. Like, when I'm sad, I just think, I want to write something that's sad. I don't. Like, I want to feel better. So I think for me, songwriting is this kind of, this kind of alchemy. Like, I want, to, I want to take this horrible thing and I want to make it, I want to transform it into something that is happy or fun because I, it's like a hoping that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, like, and I, and I've always loved, you know, obviously I've always loved pop music, but when I think about what drives me to make it, I think it, I think it's something, I think it's deeper than like, Oh, I just like the beat and the melody. At some point, I think when I was a child, I think I heard a song and it, it felt kind of transformative, you know? Like I think I think I've I've mentioned it before, but uh, I remember being a kid and hearing "Daydream Believer" by the Monkees, and it's like just hit me, it hit me in the heart, you know, like uh, all that cheer up, you know, oh what can it mean to a daydream believer, or the that line about the good times coming then without a dollar one to spend, but how much baby do we really need? Like there was this there was this feeling like of like hope that like that there was a kind of a sad hope in that song which i think i just love that i've always loved songs that have that kind of sad hope so i think when I, when i found myself writing songs i think i just took that to a kind of ridiculous extreme i mean daydream believer is at least it's at least kind of whimsical you know it's 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 kind of light but you know i find myself writing rock songs with kind of sad lyrics but they don't they're not all sad lyrics but no like I, like I can't think of another song when I was a kid that had that kind of message. Like, hey, it's gonna be okay, man. Right. You know, right. which is which is basically the chorus. Daydream Believer is such a cooler song to have that moment with as a kid, and it's so much cooler than the one that that I had that exact exact same moment with. Do you want to hear what that is? What was it? Jukebox Hero by Foreign. <laughs> the idea of a guitar just blowing someone away. I. I I really latched onto that while hearing it at the roller rink. And uh, I've never forgiven myself for that. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a nice riff to it. So, <laughs> so okay. So you have the song written. You have the, the lyrics written. You've, you've got the song to go with it that you had already kind of hashed out to some degree. What's the process then for you of turning that into a recorded song and then later a live song? Because you get pretty complicated about uh arrangements and loops and and dubs and all that yeah it's uh yeah then then it, then it's another descent into madness you know um <laughs> different kind of madness yeah you know i've i've i haven't listened to it all i've listened to half of the jeff tweedy book about songwriting uh uh-huh. 
you know, and and I think he I think he talks in there about like disappearing, how like like working on creative things and art is like a way of uh, disappearing. So there is that element of um, working on songs that that I love. It's because like you can just you can just put everything away and just uh, concentrate on what you're doing. But then there then there is the other game, which is finishing it. Mm. Like, like, like it's, I could sit in the studio forever. Like I have about 50 unfinished songs because wow. I've, because I've just been, that's what I've been doing for the last year and a half, you know, but, um, it's hard to finish them. It's hard to do that end run. Then, then that's when anxiety comes in. That That's when you start, instead of being creative, then I start second guessing myself. So when you're composing the song and when you're recording the song, you get a little break from the anxiety and you can be in the moment and just be be creative but then in the in post that's when anxiety jumps back into you all right i mean it's not it's not even post it's just um you know you, you just get to a point where you have to you have to decide like okay well what you have a lot of ideas and it's been fun doing this but what what's going to be the version of this song you know mm. <laughs> so, sometimes it's as simple as like this keyboard line and this bass don't go together. Which one's it going to be? It's like, it's like, which darling are you going to kill? <laughs> which, uh, you know, darling killing is actually a pretty small problem in my life. Um, <laughs> but still, still, I know, um, I, I, like, I know, I, I think I can be a little difficult to work with in the studio. And I think, I think that's an offshoot of, um, not that I'm being really demanding, but I think the, that kind of anxiety makes me like second guess everything. Hmm. Like, is this right? Are the, do these lyrics work? Should I change the lyrics? Should I redo the vocals? Like, does this work? Like, does this melody work? Like, all that stuff. I'm going to write a new melody. It's like, oh, I wrote a new melody. I got to write new lyrics, you know, and that kind of stuff. And then I'll go, two weeks later, I'll go, no, it was better before. That kind of stuff. Are you alone when you're doing all this? Or are you collaborating? Well, the last year and a half, I've been doing a lot of stuff alone. I've collaborated with a few um my friends here. But everybody, I mean... It's a weird time for the band because we're all, you know, we can't, we can't be together, you know, like, and every, everybody's there, there's COVID and, you know, everybody's just got things going on in their life. So, uh, yeah, I have, I've been doing a lot of stuff by myself. So it, and it can be a, like a descent into madness. Like it's, I think when you're a sensitive artist, like it's a real roller coaster ride. There, there are some points I'm sitting by myself when I'm, in the studio and then I have eureka moments like, Oh, this is great. I love this. This is great. And then th there are times when I mean, I'm in there for five hours and I think I'm so sad. Like how, how did I ever convince anybody I could make music? It's like, it's like, I'm going to lose my house because I don't know how to make music anymore. That's when I start having those uh, thoughts. Yeah. I'll be exposed for the fraud that I am. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I, yeah, I start having the internal conversation. Everybody thinks they're a fraud, but yeah, but you really are one, Carl. <laughs> it's like there's a reason you have imposter syndrome, because you recognize what you are. How do you handle that when that happens? How do you manage that? Um, you know, you, I just have to keep going. You know, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I just do. You know, I've had I've had a therapist years ago say, you know, you just have to accept it as a part of you. And I think that's what I do. I'll sit there in the studio and go, well, you're shitty. You're a hack, but this is what you do. So just finish this shitty record because it's your job. 
And I go, okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> I can do that. Well, I, I know a lot of artists of various various mediums, you know, various things that they do who have that moment of, you know, the, there's all the, the inspiration and then there's the perspiration and then there's the utter despair. And that usually happens just before the thing comes out. You know, I, I know yeah. I've gone through with books. I've gone through with radio. I know people have gone through it in theater and in painting and all these things. Mm-hmm. Is it something that you, by this point, can expect and say like, oh, okay, here's this lie that's coming at me. But uh, oh, you know, that, it, that just means I'm almost done. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You don't I, get I, that? I, I, I wish I knew when something was done. Uh, do you believe in things being done or, or is everything just uh, put out into the world in mid process well the the horrible part is I think I do believe in things being done even though it's impossible you know like because I think you know you can't ever finish anything but I keep thinking oh but you will you'll finish this and then you realize no you, you can't you th- there have been points when I've thought I was finished and I'd play it for somebody and they'd go, oh, I don't know about this. And I'm like, but I thought I was finished. <laughs> like, <laughs> do you know how big that is? Nothing is ever finished. And I thought I was finished. Now you're telling me I'm not finished. But why do they get to, why does that person get to tell you you're not finished when well, you're already telling yourself? Aren't you the boss? It's not just, it's not just a rando. It's, it's not, it's not just random people on the streets. Usually people, you know, I work with or yeah. uh, respect and yeah, I mean, ultimately, I do get to say what's finished, but I, I think I don't want to. And, you know, I think, I think we all want positive reinforcement, <laughs> you know? And I think, again, going back to the, uh, the anxiety, I think I, I don't trust my judgment a lot of the time. I think maybe, maybe you're right, you know? Maybe I, maybe I can't hear, I can't hear my music anymore. Like, like, may, may, like, maybe I don't know, like, I can, I can, I can make AC Newman's music, but maybe I don't know the difference between good AC Newman and bad AC Newman. If yeah. that makes, if makes, it makes any sense. Like, I realized, I realized recently that when I look back at all my recorded output, a lot of my favorite things I've done were not popular. And I realized it could be that what I've been successful doing is what it's not a part of me that I even like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like th- th- there's a part of my music that has become successful and I'm like, uh, whatever. And then there's a part of my music that I like. And then people are going, well, no, nah, we're not as into that stuff. And, and I realize, like, oh, maybe I just don't, maybe I just don't know. Sometimes I think like, maybe I don't, maybe when I'm writing songs, maybe I'm not even l- letting the right melodies out of my head. <laughs> like, you know, Maybe I'm keeping all the hits trapped in my mind and I'm and I'm just like selectively releasing different songs. Yeah. I'm got well, uh, I'm I'm getting now now I'm going down a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. Do you, as you talk about that, do you feel the anxiety ramping up in you right now? Mm. <laughs> Not just just slightly. Well, okay. I mean I, I I mean I am working I am working on music right now, so yeah. You know, it's 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 on my it's on my mind. Um, <laughs> it's it's there on the table. Yeah. More with AC Newman in a moment. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Annabelle Gerwich. And I'm Laura House. And we're the hosts of Tiny Victories. My tiny victory is that I sewed that button back on the day after it broke. We talk about that little thing that you did that's a big deal to you, but nobody else cares. Did you get that Guggenheim Genius Award? We don't want to hear from you. We want little bitty tiny victories. My tiny victory is a tattoo that I added onto this past weekend. Let's talk about it. My victory is that I'm one year cancer free, but my tiny victory is that I took all of the cushions off the couch, pounded them out, put them back, and it looks so great. So if you're like us and you want to celebrate the tiny achievements of ordinary people, listen to Tiny Victories. It's on every Monday on Maximum Fun. Congratulations, you've won a ticket to attend an exclusive opportunity in a relaxing environment with two lovers. Wow. Well, this sounds like a sort of proposition of sorts, but really it's an ad for our podcast. Wonderful. It's a show we do here on Maximum Fun where we talk about things that we like and things that we're into. I'm Rachel McElroy, and you just heard Griffin McElroy, and we are excited for you to join us as we talk about movies and music and books. Things like sneezing or the idea of rain. (laughs) Can you get news or information you can use? Absolutely so. you cannot, because we're here to talk to you about Pumpernickel Bread. You can find new episodes on Wednesdays. So catch, catch the wave! Back now with A.C. Newman of the band The New Pornographers. Do you think that you write music and make music to deal with the anxiety, or you do it as a result of the anxiety? It's It's... it's it's both. I know it definitely helps. Like, I think I'm driven. I'm driven to write music. Like I said, I don't always finish it, but I'm, but I'm, but I'm always driven to like work on things that are like creative and it, it helps. I like, I, I know it helps. And I know some people talk about stopping music. Like they just, they quit music and they do something else. And I think, how could you do that? And I, and I think it's because, like, I feel driven to do it. Like, I feel like maybe I'll stop recording them. Maybe I'll stop releasing them. But I feel like I'll always be, like, writing songs in my brain until I die. You know? Like, it, it, might, be the, it might be the last thing. It might be my last thought in this world will be, uh, you know, some melody going around in my head. Uh, so I and, I... and I know that that must be me you know, trying to deal. It's like a self-soothing thing. Maybe it's something about it, like you just feel like you're somehow taking control or or you're somehow imposing an order on chaos. Uh-huh. Like like you're you're taking these chaotic feelings and trying and trying to force them. Like I said, like, you know, through alchemy, try and force them into into something else, into a piece of music. But then I know there's also the part of me where I think people who have anxiety and depression, I think, uh, you know, they're just driven, you know, they're driven to <laughs> be creative. I, 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 I don't, I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just sounds like that's, that's part of the way your brain works is, uh, is it makes songs. It just, it can't help it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not, I, I don't feel like it's in my genetics. Like I'm the first person to play music in my family. So it's not like, Oh, I, you know, 
I see interviews with musicians and they say like, oh, we, I grew up, we all sang songs together and playing the fiddle and playing the guitar. And I think, uh-huh. nope, <laughs> it's like, nope, we had an out of tune piano that nobody played. What did your folks do for a living? Um, my, my mom was a stay at home mom and my dad worked at the power company in Vancouver. He worked, he worked at BC Hydro. Um, so we were, we were just working class, but you know, back in, back in a time when you could have five kids uh-huh. have a house and just be a guy that works at the power company you know yeah. buy a new car every couple of years yeah you know and and i know looking back i know we weren't we weren't rich you know but uh we had a couple like big holidays you know when i was a kid and i know like oh you know my dad must have saved up mm. you know for quite a while so that we could go to norway just working class like my my par- my parents grew up in rural alberta like they didn't they didn't graduate high school they uh they went working, you know, when, when, when they turned 15 or 16, they, they went and got jobs. Um, so, you know, I think my parents were great and that like, they never really pushed me in any direction. I think it, there was just a sense of like, we're cool with whatever you want to do, you know? And my dad, my dad would suggest really ridiculous things. Like I, I, me- I remember around the time when electric version, I, I was, I was recording electric version and my dad said like, you know what you should be, Carl? You should be an auctioneer. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I have a career already. Yeah, I actually, I remember my, my girlfriend at the time was like, he does have a job. <laughs> I never see him because he's always working. That's the um, whole problem. So was it on that, that old piano that got you hooked on music? No, I, I, didn't, I didn't pick up a guitar until I was 18. What, what made you pick up the guitar? What made you keep playing the guitar? You know, um... I remember I had a friend named Marcel in high school who was a really good guitar player. And he just said, hey, I'll show you some, some chords. And he showed me how to play E, A, and D. And he said, okay, now you can play Gloria by them. Uh-huh. And, and so I thought, okay. You know, I, I learned those chords and I bought a Beatles Easy Guitar songbook. And then I just kind of started messing around. I remember... Not long after I picked up the guitar, I became obsessed with Throwing Muses and Pixies, which I think were good bands to listen to. I think I think Throwing Muses just made me, you know, like, I don't know how to do this, but I'm just going to make weird angular sounds on my guitar, right. you know, because that, that's what Throwing Muses do. And then the Pixies, you know, their songs are made up of little little bite-sized chunks that that were easy to figure out. Like, oh, I can play... I can play almost this whole record with two finger power chords or bar chords. Was it was the record Doolittle? Yeah. When I think back, Doolittle and Surfer Rosa and Come On Pilgrim all seem like the same album to me yeah. because I discovered them at the same time and just listened to them on an endless loop, and it kind of didn't really even matter to me, you know. So so when 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 people when people talk about oh I love Surfer Rosa way more than Doolittle, I'm like it's all the same shit. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Still that same ding, 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 ding. Yes, it's 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 all the same brilliance. So. Yeah, yeah, huh? And so, presumably, the the anxiety, the depression were were already there. If you know, maybe not diagnosed yet, but already present. Did you associate the playing the music with some possible relief from that? When I think of my first band, it was it was a total joke. It was just my a bunch of my friends and everybody got together and just jammed and made noise. And even though I'm not the outgoing one, really, I think I've always been kind of a shy person. 
Somehow, somehow I was the only person with the guts enough to like stand in front of the microphone. (laughs) So I thought, okay, well, I guess I'm the singer, which seemed weird to me because I've never been the center of attention. You know, it always felt like you put me in a room with 20 people. I always felt like I was the person that no one was going to notice. And then all of a sudden I was the the singer in this band. Um, And I, you know, I think I, I think I liked it, but I also didn't know what I was doing. But, you know, it was a, there was something about it. Like, I'm still curious as to why I do it, because if you have a lot of anxiety, I mean, yeah, like playing music fills you with anxiety sometimes. Getting in front of people fills you with anxiety. Like, when I had to get up on stage and Stephen Colbert and play Whiteout Conditions for like whatever a million people, uh-huh. that. Like, I don't know how I did it. I still don't know how I did it. But that's the life I chose. Somehow, everything in my life, everything in my life without me even seemingly trying that hard has just gone in this direction. Yeah, it it is curious that a person with chronic anxiety and depression also can say, I'm going to lead this band of between six and eight really great musicians and get them to to flesh out my ideas like you would that's a level of confidence that most people can't even imagine having but you do I, I, I know I, I think about that all the time because you, you hear about so many people celebrities talk about depression and anxiety and and you hear you hear about Emma Stone and you go you don't have fucking anxiety and depression <laughs> Emma Stone you're Emma Stone you know and or, or anybody, because, you know, th- there are many of them. And then I realize, oh, somebody might look at me that same way. You yeah. know, like... You're an actual rock star is the thing. <laughs> but I but I'm, I don't think I am. <laughs> and like I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking out my eyes and I'm, I just, I think, well, no, you're just a guy who's just struggling to get <laughs> through um, every day. But I realize like, oh, right, there are... For for all the billions that don't care whether I live or die, there are uh, <laughs> there are some people out there who um you know think I'm like a confident you know yeah person yeah who are who are loyal to you and and will follow you because mm-hmm. they believe in you. I know. And, I, I and th- there are there are some times when I have to look at my life and just try and look at it logically, and like uh-huh. like I'll I'll look at my house, you know. Like what? Wait, I'll, I'll let you see it. Yeah, here's my one. You know, here's. Oh, okay. You know, I look, I look, at, I look at my window at my acreage in Woodstock, and it's beautiful. And I think to myself, logically, you must be kind of good, because <laughs> right. you bought you bought this, you bought you bought this with the money you made from from playing your music. And I think, okay, you know, there must be. You start to run out of arguments after a while that this is a fluke, if it's happened so many times but i mean i mean everything is a fluke um you know but you know it's funny you you talked about you know like how how do i how do i take these talented people and you know and and wrangle them or whatever (laughs) however however you said it Uh but i i think with the pornographers i didn't go into it thinking like i'm going to be the ringleader like come come join my circus like (laughs) i'm i'm charged i think I think I'd been in a band. I'd been in a band called Zimpano and Sub Pop. We had a couple of records on Sub Pop, and they didn't do well at all. And I think I came out the other side thinking, "Well, I'm not a rock star, so 
like I, I thought I didn't have what it t- takes on my own. So I thought I'll do something. You know, I saw Dan play and I thought he's good. It's like, I want Dan to be in my um, band. And I heard Nico sing and I thought I want Nico to be in my band. And I think that was obviously I just thought they were incredibly talented and wanted to make music with them. But I, I think there was a part of me that thought, well, this will be easier. Like, yeah. like, like, like maybe it will be easier for me to like, to, to, to do what I'm doing. Like maybe, maybe it will be less stressful because, Hey, they can sing, you know, like I don't, I don't have to sing all the songs, you know, yeah. like Nico can sing some of them. I don't even have to write all the songs. Dan can write some of them. So I felt like that, that kind of took the heat off me. And it, it, it's very weird for me. I, it always strikes me. Like it, it's strange to have a friend like Nico, who I, I knew and nobody knew about her, and realize that she is to so many people she's so iconic. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and and sometimes I think there there must be there must be people who look at me and go, well, I don't get it, but Nico seems to vouch for him. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I think like I, I feel like I feel like she's a good person to have in my corner. It's like, yeah. hey, hey, did you know one of my best friends is like one of the coolest, most badass women in the world? So, yep. so check me out. <laughs> I, I can't be all bad. I mean, she she don't she don't hang out with trash, man. That's AC Newman. He's more commonly referred to as Carl Newman in conversation. Carl used his initials for a name when he started doing more solo work. He felt like people would be more likely to check out music by AC rather than Carl. Plus, AC reminds someone of ACDC. His music does not sound like ACDC. Unless ACDC started using rich orchestration and very complex harmonies. Not holding my breath on that. If you haven't listened to music by the new pornographers, you should start. Oh man, what a treat you have in store. Thanks for writing along on our song imploder. Deference and praise to Song Exploder and Rishikesh Hirway. Check out that show as well, by the way. I'm giving out a lot of audio recommendations because I want your ears and brain to be happy. Next time on Depression Mode, he's a successful actor, comedian, and podcast host, but depression doesn't care about any of that. It feels like having a high-end car that doesn't run. You know, and people are like, what a great car. And you're like, but it doesn't work, you yeah, know? It's not getting me anywhere. <laughs> right, I agree. I would feel great if I was, like, riding this car down the fucking highway, wind blowing through my hair, driving to the beach or whatever. But it's like, it's stuck here. Our August Newman Palooza continues with Griffin Newman, no relation to A.C. Newman, or Paul Newman, for that matter, or Wayne Knight, who played Newman on Seinfeld. Here's the deal. If people support our show through donations, large or small, we will continue to exist. If not, we won't. If you donate, you are making Depression Mode happen, and thank you. If you haven't donated yet, it's super easy. You can find a level that works for you Go to MaximumFun.org slash join. Also, give our sponsors a shot. Use those discount codes that I always mention. That stuff is tracked. You're getting good stuff, you're getting it cheaper, and you're helping the show. 
We love it when you recommend Depression Mode to friends. Also, something that matters a lot, hit subscribe, give us five stars, write reviews. That helps more people find out about the show, which helps our mission of getting those conversations happening in the world. I want you to know that the Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24-7 for free at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK, the crisis text line, also free and always available. Text the word HOME to 741-741. You will get a reply. Let us know who you want me to interview, what issues you want to hear more about. We take requests. You can send us an electric mail, depressionmode at maximumfun.org. If you're on Facebook, look up our mental health discussion group, Preshies. Great talk going on over there. We're on Twitter and Instagram at DepressPod. Our Depression Mode newsletter is available on Substack. Search it up. I'm on Twitter at John Moe. Hi, credits listeners. Here's a fun thing to do. Locate a child who you know that is younger than, say, eight years old. Then try to explain video rental stores to them. You get very entertaining, incredulous looks. Depression Mode is produced by Gabe Mara. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. Rhett Miller wrote and performed our theme song, Building Wings. I'm always falling off of cliffs now Building wings on the way down I am figuring things out Building wings, building wings, building wings No one knows the reason Maybe there's no reason I just keep believing No one knows the answer Maybe there's no answer Hi, this is Jackson from Minneapolis, and we're going to get through this together. Depression Mode is a production of Maximum Fun and Papa Chick. I'm John Moe. Bye now. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.